Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable podcast, the only show that dares to be both on topic or on premise, and sometimes on location or on premises. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT luminaries to discuss a single concept. In this episode, we're talking about the future of storage, and maybe there isn't a future of storage. But before we begin, let's quickly meet who's on the panel today. My name is Jawad Khan. I'm a principal engineer with Intel with about 16 years of experience in storage and memory. And today we are going to talk about a competition that we won with persistent memory and Intel. You can find more information at the end of this at intel.com slash optin. I'm Frederick Van Heren, and I'm the founder of HiFence, a company that provides consulting and services in the HPC and AI markets. And you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn as Frederick V. Heron. And I'm Justin Warren. I'm founder and chief analyst at Pivot9 Consultants and Advisors. So as somebody who's done a lot of work on storage, in fact, that's been my, uh, the foundation of my career, it, it sort of pains me to say this, but truly the only reason we even have storage is because we didn't have enough memory. Uh, if, if we needed there to be uh, persistence, well, we could have achieved that with some sort of persistent memory uh, capability years and years ago, if only we had enough of it. Well, that's sort of the pitch in my mind for a lot of what Intel has been doing with this Optane technology. And that's why when I saw Jawad present this uh, finding, I was really you know keyed in on it because frankly, the idea that a system with sufficient memory doesn't really need storage is pretty radical and revolutionary. So I'm gonna hand it over to you. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the setup, uh, the competition and the results of using Optane like this. Yeah, so uh, this competition was around a big scale similarity search. Uh, similarity search is basically a class of problems which are prevalent in, in AI where you have to do uh, you have to find things which are similar to each other. It's also found in recommendation system or ranking systems. And these are like large scale problems, like billions and trillions of items that you have to go in and search for something with the customer or the query wants you to find, which is similar to the uh, thing that they uh, that they are asking you to find. And uh, in order to showcase the Optane and Intel technology around this, uh, uh, this uh, domain, we entered a competition organized by NeurIPS uh, 2021 conference. In that we participated in the track, which is uh, basically the custom hardware track. And with around a $15,000 server with Intel Optane technology, we were able to come in uh, first in the, uh, in the cost or the CAPEX plus OPEX uh, uh, metric, which is most, uh, mostly the best metric that I feel uh, that showcases the balance of system that you can put together. Uh, besting an NVIDIA system, DGXA 100 based system, which costs anywhere uh, from 150K and above. So a very, if, if you're able to customize your software and hardware, you can get some very interesting solutions put together for problems where uh, people don't look at these type of solutions where uh, you can put your entire data set in the memory. It seems like the combination of uh, Intel Xeon and persistent memory 
is makes you really competitive and certainly from a price perspective i mean the the price comparison with with the dgx is enormous so what do you feel is the most important factor is it the xeon is it persistent memory is it a combination of both i would say it's a combination of both but in particular i would put the emphasis on two things one is um, persistent memory, which gives you a, a large memory space, in this case, two terabytes or more uh, per core. And then if you can tailor your software to utilize that large capacity that is now available to you, and which could be made persistent, so you don't have to page in and out anything from storage, you just keep your entire data set and the graph. In this case, it was a graph-based algorithm that we chose to compete with for similarity search. Uh, your entire graph just stays in the persistent memory. You don't have to bring in pages from the storage. And if you do that, you come out ahead. So How useful is that really though? Because there's, there's a lot of software out there that is, has been written over the last couple of decades that assumes that there will be some kind of file system or, or storage that I need to address. How, how much of that software has to get changed before it's usable with something like persistent memory? So in this case, it's uh, the, the algorithm itself was based on a, a Vamana algorithm from Microsoft, which has been open sourced. So we tweaked it, we, we make modifications to it so that we can take full advantage of the persistent memory. Uh, if you want to, and you can always certainly keep storage in play if you want to, and there is a specific algorithm called DiskNN from, also from Microsoft, which has been open sourced, which is almost entirely disk-based. but then the performance suffers. Uh, you're kind of limited in the, in the number of queries that you can uh, service. But if you are open to, open to making some modifications, and in, in the minimal case, and we made two different uh, solutions. One was just a minimal uh, software change, which basically uh, was about 50 lines of code to, the, to their Vamana algorithm. And we were able to get significantly higher, like 2x better performance just by that simple change. But in order to win the competition, of course, you have to go and uh, uh, overhaul that algorithm to truly take advantage of the persistent memory that is there. So it's up to, if, up to the organization how much they want to delve into. So you're talking yeah, so a little bit about the software like Graphan. Is, is, that, is that available to the public? Is that internal to Intel? Can people use it? Yeah, GraphNN is, is our solution or our modifications or updates, which basically allow you to use this large scale similarity search solution with persistent memory. We are in the process of uh, open sourcing it. It has not yet been open sourced, but we are going uh, through the process, uh, inter internal process to get it out there. So anybody who has persistent memory and, op uh, and Xeon can, can use that algorithm. Yeah, so I guess that's what I'm, I'm sort of getting at is that on the one hand, you like we need this stuff to be open sourced because some of this will require modifications, but that also implies that people are able to make that. Most mm -hmm. people and most organizations just buy stuff. We don't mm -hmm. actually want to write a lot of code. I mean, I write code, but I haven't written anywhere near most of the code that I use every day. Um, and quite frankly, no one really wants to use the code that I write these days. So it feels like, okay, great. We've, we've got some hardware that we could buy that we could use if only the software worked, mm -hmm. but it doesn't yet. So how, how do I like for, unless I'm, I'm a niche organization who wants to use some sort of similarity search and I'm, I'm in this particular field, 
Mm. Is like, is this something which is actually practical outside of that? Because like, I would love all my stuff to not have slow storage. Storage is just slow memory. Yes, storage is slow memory. And in the limit, the best storage is no storage. Uh, that's what I believe in. And that's what I've been working in all through my career to, to make happen. Uh, persistent memory or PMM is closest. We, we have come to it, to that kind of a, a, a situation. Uh, so the software, the, to, to answer your question, the software piece is, is really based on what the organization or the company that is involved in this large scale similarity search wants to do. And these are big companies like Microsoft, Facebook, Google, eBay, Pinterest, Twitter, because all of these guys, they at some stage in their pipeline, they do similarity search one way or the other. And if I, if I look at that, then it's really dependent on what the kernel that does the similarity search, is that optimized or not, given whatever hardware you're throwing at it. So uh, based on that, for for uh, for somebody who's uh, who's an enthusiast uh, and doesn't have like trillions and trillions of these data vectors that they want to search through, maybe a disk NN based solution is good enough, but it will not scale um, to to the performance levels that we were able to demonstrate with this uh, with this solution. The use case is pretty broad. It 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 has many different companies that that use this. Anywhere where you are recommending a product, you're recommending a person, you're comparing pictures, audio, text uh, to something that the user generates, that's where similarity search com comes in. And uh, the, the way internet and the data on the internet is growing, it's growing anywhere from three to four X every year that uh, these large search engines need to search through these items that are being generated every day or every second. So to a certain degree, you could say that software enables innovation, right? The hardware innovation. Can you talk a little bit about the, the effort that, that Intel is putting in building software as in containers and so on for, for the customers that buying PMEM? I mean, buying PMEM by itself is not the end goal, right? It's the, it's the combination of the software and the hardware. So you talked a little bit about Microsoft and and, and I assume, you know, Red Hat and others from a Linux perspective, does Intel also have a, a software initiative? Yeah, Intel has software initiatives and we, we uh, deliver all these different types of uh, benchmark solutions or, or other solutions that you can look at and see how we have used uh, uh, persistent memory. There's a software tool called Persistent Memory Development Kit that you can use, PMDK. Um, that basically abstracts some of these nitty-gritty low-level details that you don't need to worry about if you if you uh, use the appropriate functions there. And um, and as this effort shows, my team was able to put together the solution and eventually win that competition with relatively modest uh, software resources. Uh, we were like three people or four people who were working on it uh, actively. So from that perspective, we put together these solutions and, and showcase that, look, these, these things are possible if you have the right hardware and the right uh, algorithm to meet that hardware. I think you said something earlier is very interesting. So first of all, I believe that the competition was with a single server, right? Yes, so all of these competitions, the, by the structure of this competition, the way it was put together was basically 
um, uh, on a particular metric, which was basically CapEx, five-year OpEx, and then for 100K queries per second, that's the kind of the performance uh, level that, uh, that they wanted us to meet. You can throw however many servers at it, as long as you can deliver 100 query, 100K queries per second. And then the, the final piece was 90%, um, 10 recall at 10, that is like a, a metric of accuracy of how, how accurate your results are in this billion scale data sets. And there were five of those that, that were donated by different companies, including Microsoft, Facebook, and Google. Um, so, so you had to go through all of these. These had different characteristics, different uh, distributions, dist different distance metrics, and basically win across these different uh, uh, different metrics that, that were uh, put on the competition. So I assume there's a fine balance between cores and persistent memory. This, now, this was a single server. If we think about clustering those servers, what do, you, what do you feel is the limiting factor? Is that the amount of cores or is it the amount of persistent memory? I would say it's the amount of persistent memory because um, the, the main aha moment for us when we started working on this was uh, there are two parts to this uh, solution. One is called the graph, which is basically all of these billion points. We, we do something which is called an indexing step at the beginning. Once these vectors, which usually come out of a deep learning pipeline, uh, these are high dimensional vectors. Uh, you put them in a graph so that similar vectors occupy closer locations uh, within a graph. And once you have this index built, then when the query comes in at runtime, you, you go and try to search through this graph and try to find what are the 10 nearest neighbors or N nearest neighbor or K nearest neighbors uh, to the particular query. So what we found was if you are able to put your entire graph in persistent memory, you don't have to page in and out anything. And you can keep your vectors, which are usually much, much smaller than, than the graph, in uh, DRAM, so then you you use you you, you uh, utilize the best of both worlds. The DRAM gives you fast uh, access to these uh, vectors, and then the graph is in its entirety is sitting in the PMEM, and therefore you don't have to touch the storage. And if you take one step forward, which means that you make this graph persistent, then you just come up and you are up and running. You don't have to page in anything from storage. Uh, obviously in this case, we did not do that uh, uh, because we had to showcase what, what is available and what you can do today. But obviously if you have a persistent memory, one of the premises is that uh, you can definitely use it for persistent uh, storage without actually touching real storage. So, so that was, uh, that was how, how we did it. So I would say, if you keep on increasing persistent memory, the, the um, vectors per node density uh, goes up. So you can basically have more vectors. In this case, there were like about a billion vectors that were sitting on this one node. Uh, you can go up to three, four uh, billion vectors on per node. And then if you have, let's say one to two trillion uh, vectors that you're searching through, then you shard them across all these different systems that uh, people usually do for these type of scales. Where's the persistence part coming in? So what, like, 
at the moment it feels like you've got yeah you've got persistent memory but it's really being a memory layer between yeah. dram and other storage because it's faster than storage but not quite as fast as dram yes but it's also cheaper than exactly the same amount of exactly so the the so it's in the sweet spot between DRAM and storage. So performance-wise, better as as you said uh, compared to storage, but uh, cost-wise is is also better compared to DRAM. So so it's cheap, slow memory. Cheap, slow memory. Yes, and that is important to keep in mind to utilize that particular aspect uh, that it is cheap, but also at the same time it is slower than DRAM. So you can't just throw throw in a persistent memory and say, "Ha, now I have." two terabytes of fast memory. That's not the case. In, in reality, you have two, two, two different types of memory. One DRAM is faster, but, but smaller in capacity. And you have persistent memory, which is slower, but extremely large in capacity and cost uh, is cheaper in cost. So that was the, that's where, where the solution comes in that you, you have to put right stuff where, where it belongs so that you get the the overall solution can be optimized. So it, yeah, it sort of goes back to that software part, but the software becomes really important because this is sort of worse now. Yes, it would it's faster storage, which is nice, but now I've got another layer and it's like, ah, oh, so many layers here and I've got to worry about where my stuff goes. And like, I because I don't have two choices. I've got memory. It's either stuff I'm operating with or it's over there somewhere, I'll use it later. Now I've got this halfway point, which is not quite either of those things. So I've got to radically rethink how I do software design. And this is something like you, you mentioned a few companies that would use this. It's like, they're all massive global, you know, billion dollar companies. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sort of looking at the enterprise market where you're going, okay, most of the stuff there is just, we buy what comes off the shelf and we are not in any way ready to do that kind of software engineering. Like this, these are companies that struggle with SQL queries. How are they going to get, like, is this something we have to wait a while till people figure out how to create the software in a nice productized packaging way? Or is this something that you would use if you're an enterprise, like you need your team on this, but they're going to have to spend some time working on the problem. This is not something you can just pick up, buy from Intel, put it into a $15,000 server and away we go. Yeah, so we are not uh, selling this software. So what you said is true. If you are a small shop, then you have to make a decision whether this kind of a solution or performance is actually what you need, right? Most smaller um, shops probably don't need to search through a trillion items. Uh, it's a pretty big space. Um, but if you have a, uh, like a billion scale data set or billion items that you want to go through quickly, then one server should be enough just as we showed in this competition, right? But if you, if you, as you go above, then obviously then you have, now you have to pay the price and, and do your software. To your other comment earlier, uh, I would say that this, when you write software, it doesn't become more difficult. It's actually simpler than going through a storage stack because uh, persistent memory uh, is exposed exactly like a memory. It, it sits on the DRAM bus and you access it exactly like a memory. The only thing you have to worry about in this case is a particular range of that memory might be slower than this other range, which is smaller, which is sitting in DRAM. So, so I, would, I would say that actually your software 
would become simpler if you cut out the storage from it, right? Which is, which is exactly what we experienced as well. Uh, making all these changes, we didn't have to touch the storage uh, stack at all because the whole thing once loaded into persistent memory was there. And it, it was there for the duration of this uh, test. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I mean, getting rid of the storage part, like, yes, it's horrendous. It's layer upon layer of yeah. old primitives that like LUNs need to die. Yep. Um, Block based. So yeah, then, being, yeah. So, yeah. It's... So, being able to just say, look, it's like memem copy or something and, and exactly. access exactly. a particular range, that's, that is probably like you could, I, I can, even I, a terrible programmer, can imagine how I would say, okay, these, these, arrays or whatever live over in that bit and then these other arrays they're my my persistent part they're a bit slower so active set not quite so active set but now i don't have to deal with any kind of io yeah stuff, yeah you know, yeah file control yeah. and you know, oh the permissions are wrong now everything's broken yep so yep so we have to talk about storage right so in your opinion how much PMEM do we need to have in a server before we can stop talking about storage? Storage? <laughs> That's what does a, that... They want us to sell yeah. all of it. Just buy uh, all actually, the PMEM. Yeah, we, we sell both of them based on the opt-in technology. We have a storage solution, SSD, which is based on the same memory technology, which goes into persistent memory. Uh, for those cases where you can't get rid of storage just yet, uh, it, it's. I would say it's really up to up to the use case, right? For example, is two terabytes enough per core or four terabytes enough per core or 10 terabytes enough per core? Uh, for, 650, 40K should be enough for anyone? Um, well, <laughs> that's a few decades ago, right? So when I was in, uh, in undergrad or something. Yeah, we'll always want more. Like, like you mentioned, the, the data growth. Like yeah. We, People have been saying, oh, data is growing at an exponential rate. We've been saying that for decades. I, I, people are not going to create less information. I wish they would, but people just keep wanting to talk to each other and take photos of things and Absolutely. put sensors into everything for some reason. So yeah, the, the, the amount of data ain't going to go down. So I'd say anything that you say now of like, okay, two two terabytes per core, like that's going to change. Like we're going to want 10 terabytes per core before you can blink. Yeah. Um, so can you work faster on this, please? <laughs> we are. <laughs> we are trying our best. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that the traditional and historically, the challenge with storage or the problem with storage is that no matter the size, you know, being at kilobytes, megabytes, gigabytes, terabytes, petabytes people mm. will find a way to fill it right it's it's that's the challenge with storage so we're we're at the point now where keeping storage it it's not not a cost problem anymore um it it is more a data management problem which which is a whole completely different problem mm. but i do believe that persistent memory certainly for ai is a big deal um, if if you talk a little bit about the the the, comp the competitors you saw in the competition is they have similar problems right they have computes on a card and their challenge is also to have as much memory as close as possible to the compute so that problem doesn't go away and that's came, you know coming back to one of my earlier questions is it's it's a fine line between the amount of course and memory right and and the more memory the better because anything you can do in memory, even if it's a little bit slower, 
but you have the capacity gives you tremendous advantages because still going to storage storage is is, is there's also a cost an access cost to storage right there's Absolutely. multiple layers there too yep. we talk about the software but there are drivers and layers on top of it and raid and erasure coding all of that is not just a storage problem it's also a compute problem erasure code and rate is all calculated so i do think that persistent memory has a great advantage in AI. Uh, the question is, you know, how much can you squeeze, squeeze into a box such that its advantage is 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 really superior to any other? Yeah, because that that's a good point there around the capacity that's close enough. Because not just the storage, but also anything further away is over a network. Yeah, and as you mentioned, storage has grown really really quickly. But one of the issues is the access speed, and if it's not local to the CPU, like if it's not on the local bus, it, it's light years away. In terms, you know, relatively speaking, it's just so far away. So having it close, like I know that Intel has recently been talking about longer roadmap stuff around things like CXL. Mm -hmm. Are we are we going to be limited to stuff that is only in the chassis, or are we going to start going beyond, like putting memory close to the CPU won't actually have to be in the one single server. Well, there are things that, that are in the works that I'm not at the liberty to talk about right now, but you can see the progression, the way it's going and, and the, the, the way the memory capacities are growing. Uh, I would, I would uh, um, add to your comments one more thing. Performance and speed and cost is just one aspect. The other bigger deal is power. So as you keep on putting your stuff out at a further distance away in your data center, your power to bring that, that data closer where the actual compute is happening goes up. Uh, so for, for example, in this case, in the, in the competition case, we were able to uh, reduce the power consumption by 5X by keeping everything in, in, in the persistent memory closer to where, where it was needed instead of just bringing in everything from the disk. Yeah, but I think from a power perspective, I think what you're doing is you're trading raw compute power, you know, and when I talk about power is the wattage mm -hmm. versus memory, which is much lower uh, power consumption. So I, it's a it's a it's a negative trade off from a power perspective, negative in the sense that you consume or you need less wattage to obtain to, the same result. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but it's the old thing of trading space for time. So you pre-calculate a whole bunch of stuff and then just store it, which if you didn't have persistent memory, you wouldn't be able to do. You wouldn't be able to. Yeah. Exactly. So, that's, so I don't have to run calculations anymore because yep. I I do them once and then I just keep the results. Uh, and keep the results close by, not, not over some network or somewhere else where you have to bring it in piecemeal and look at it, right? So in some ways, it's nothing's really changed except for the hardware. So we have hardware that we could we didn't have. So we're kind of circling back around and going, oh, the software is really important. It's like, nah, no, it's the same software, same primitive, same ideas. Yes. But yes. the hardware is different. So the hardware is actually really important. Hardware is important. I'm a hardware guy uh, by heart. <laughs> that's that's what my PhD was in. So 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 that's the piece that I, I, I always focus on first before I start jumping into the software domain. But at this stage, it's a, it's a combination of both. Uh, but it, if you would have asked me without this hardware, can you build this? Probably the answer would have been no. 
So I'd like to uh, basically get us back to the premise here. And I'm going to ask you all, now that we've spent uh, half an hour discussing this, uh, think back to where we began. Uh, sometimes the best storage is no storage. Um, are you on board with this idea? Justin, uh, has he won you over? Is the best storage no storage? Yes, I think we're just changing the, the name of what storage is. Originally, storage was core memory, which was persistent memory. It, it, we just didn't have enough of it. What we're getting now is we're getting more better memory. So yes, I think if we can finally get back, go back to the future <laughs> and have nothing but memory, and memory will be storage, that is all we will need. I don't think we're ever going to get there, though, because people keep creating too much data. Stop creating data, then we won't need as much storage. Frederick, uh, what do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of persistent memory. I mean, not not just now, but from also from the early days, right? I mean, it's it's memory memory makes all the difference. And and the the example I I like to use is is when people are saying that their laptop is slow, the the tendency is to think that it's a it's a CPU thing, right? One more cores, while in reality, the bottleneck in most cases is that applications are so memory hungry that the, the, the lack of memory is actually causing the performance issue and not the CPU. And so, but I, I agree with Justin, right? The amount of, mem the amount of data being created uh, is growing exponentially and, and hopefully the technology will be able to grow as quickly. Um, but I'm happy to, to see that persistent memory has made it through. And certainly for use cases like AI, I think persistent memory will make a big difference. And the good news is it doesn't cost you more. And Jawad, I think I know where you stand on this question. Uh, yes, in the limit, I would say best storage is no storage. And we are furiously working towards making that a reality, starting with persistent memory today and many other things to come in the future. Uh, I would also like to say, if you want to learn more about this topic and the, particularly this uh, competition win, you can go to intel.com slash opt-in where we have a paper uh, that you can look at. And that has all the details about the competition and the changes the, uh, that we made to the code and uh, results. I'll also mention that you can learn more about this if you uh, search for a YouTube video from our recent Storage Field Day event where uh, we have uh, Dr. Khan uh, joining us uh, to present this same, uh, these same findings and uh, we go through it with the Storage Field Day delegates. So uh, for my perspective, I would say, I would remind you all of the uh, Foskett's law that I invented and named after myself, which is uh, that data tends to expand to take up all available storage. And uh, I think that any uh, attempt to constrain the growth of data is foolish. I think all we need to do is just try to use what we have as efficiently as possible because we're never gonna outrun data. So before we go, uh, we just heard where we can find this uh, white paper. Uh, where can we continue this conversation with you? So I'm on Twitter at KhanJB uh, and also on LinkedIn. Uh, you, can, you can find me there. Great, and uh, Frederick? Yeah, I was a delegate uh, at Field Day a few weeks ago. And so if you want to follow up, please have a look at the recorded sessions. I'm also a co-host on the podcast, Utilizing AI, which has very interesting topics with Stephen. Uh, and you can find me, as I mentioned, on Twitter and LinkedIn at Frederick V. Heron. And Justin? 
And you can find me on Twitter at JP Warren, uh, or you can visit our website at pivot9.com. And as for me, you can find me at S Foskett on most uh, social media sites or Stephen Foskett on LinkedIn. And as Frederick mentioned, at uh, AI Field Day and uh, utilizing AI and the rest of the tech field and Gestalt IT properties. Thank you for joining us for the On-Premise IT Roundtable. If you enjoyed this discussion, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show in whatever podcast application you use, since that does help our visibility. And please share it with your friends. This podcast is brought to you by GestaltIT.com, your home for IT coverage across the enterprise. And this special episode was sponsored by Intel. For show notes and more episodes, go to GestaltIT.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.